Ephesians 2 and 6. By now, I hope you've memorized this because one of the, the purposes of, of using this theme over and over again throughout the years, I'm going to keep hammering this to such a point of redundancy that what we hope happens is after a period of time, you just accept it as truth. One of the important concepts in learning is you don't learn anything if you hear it only once. Uh, have you read the book Brain Rules yet? Uh, read that. You'll see what I'm talking about. Ephesians 2 and 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Elevation. And so how do you elevate your life? Uh, we've been talking about uh, this from two perspectives. What can I do to facilitate it? And then secondly, how can I keep the enemy from stopping me from experiencing elevation? Proverbs 4 and 23, above all else... That is the highest priority that you can have in your life in terms of achieving the things that we're talking about. If you want to have a good family, a good home, a good life, a good marriage, good finances, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it or flows from it. And so we are looking at this from the perspective of toxic thoughts, how to flush the junk for good. And once again, I'll just mention that the way I got started on this is last year sometime I watched this crazy commercial and uh, again I'm not advocating the product because to me it seems like I, I really can't see how it could work but maybe it does I don't know where you put this strip of tape on the bottom of your feet at night and go to sleep how many of y'all seen the same commercial you wake up in the morning and pull it off and it's it's just covered with junk and supposedly it detoxes your body while you're sleeping and everybody's concerned about detox these days. And you go into the store and there are whole shelves of things to help you detox. When I watched that commercial, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had one we could put right across our heart to detox our hearts? And even better, what about one right across your mind so you could wake up in the morning and all the bad stuff be gone? Detox your thinking. Or how about this? One you could put on your relationships and detox. Or your finances. And God began to speak to me about that. I want us to pray. Father, I thank you today because there's incredible power in your word to both heal, to restore, renew, revive, and strengthen. Let the revelatory aspects of your word come alive today in our hearts. This subject that, that all of us in this building deal with in one form or fashion every day of our lives because this world that we live in has fallen and as we have learned, just being saved doesn't take out the junk that came into our minds and became a part of our programming, as it were, before we were saved. Just being saved doesn't erase that and make it go away. We have to be renewed then after being saved in the spirit of our mind. I want you to help us to understand that and not only help us to understand it, but make it become a reality by causing your word to become the programming of our lives. In Jesus' name we ask, and everybody said amen. amen. When I last spoke with you a couple of weeks ago, we learned that our, our thought life has an amazing impact on our lives and our, even the world around us. Our thoughts actually end up determining our actions, don't they? Begins with a thought, and that thought grows into, over time, an action. Our thoughts greatly impact and help determine our emotions as well. And uh, if you want to know the way the sequence works, usually it's this. It begins with a thought, becomes an emotion, 
and then works its way into a manifestation of an event or an act. And uh, Philippians tells us that God is actually very concerned about our thoughts because uh, years ago there used to be a program on the Andy Griffin show. Some of you wouldn't remember that, but some of you might. And there was a little Barney Fife running around. The guy that he, Andy gave him one bullet, but he wouldn't let him carry it in his gun. And he said, "Can I use my bullet now, Andy?" And and, and Andy was not yet, Barney, not yet. Just hold on. And Barney's favorite saying was, "Concerning problems, you got to nip it in the butt." Yeah, you read that. You heard and saw the same programs. And say it again. Nip it. That's it. Nip it in the butt. God wants to help us to be able to correct some things before they become too deeply rooted in our lives. After they become deeply rooted, they become very difficult to deal with. You say, why would God care about my thought life? It's for that very reason. Because he knows it will manifest, these thoughts will end up working their way and manifest into your emotions. And your emotions are going to end up becoming the triggers that cause physical events to happen in your life. Philippians 4 and 8 I love the way Eugene Peterson says this in the message. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best. Say it with me. Not, come on, say it, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Summing it all up. Those two little letters, I-T, can refer to a lifetime, it, summing it all up, can refer and make mention of a lifetime of hurt, betrayal, pain, and disappointment. And it would almost seem that there is a, a lack on Paul's part to be sympathetic to the human condition. You would think that how can a man say that to me knowing what I have been through. If he knew some of the events I've walked through in the course of my life, he would certainly understand that it's difficult for me to think on beautiful things when I've experienced the worst or to think on things that are, um, you know, things that, that are to praise when my life has been spent experiencing as it were, things that had to do with cursing. I've been through some rough places in the course of my life. And uh, Paul seems to be failing to connect with his audience. That's one perspective. Another perspective is that maybe he's much more sympathetic than we're giving him credit for. Maybe there's a difference in the kind of sympathy that sometimes we look for in life and the kind of sympathy we really need. Bear with me. Sometimes you don't just need somebody to pat you on the shoulder and leave you in the same condition. Sometimes you need somebody to have enough, enough compassion and sympathy they help you get out of the ditch you found yourself in. And I have come to understand that what Paul is really doing here is giving people a hand up, not just a sympathetic pat on the back and you poor darling you, and leaving them to lie in the same awkward, compelling, and painful circumstance that he found them in. Why are our thoughts important? Just so that we can get on the same page. Proverbs 23, 7 says in the A clause of that verse, 
For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts ultimately will determine your life. They will determine who you are. They will determine your world. Research reveals that the average person, are you ready for this, has over 30,000 thoughts a day. Science believes these thoughts have a profound impact on every aspect of your life. Many of them believe that up to 85% of illness could be caused directly as a result of, if not greatly exacerbated, by thinking toxic thoughts. As I shared with you last year, that advertisement about that soul detox thing, just from a physical perspective, in terms of you living a life of health and happiness, just from that perspective alone, it's worthwhile for you to manage your thought life. But we have been looking beyond that. We've been looking at the life of Jacob and how he struggled with toxic thoughts all of his life and how they kept him from enjoying the favor and the blessing of God that God kept trying to give him. Now what is amazing about this to me is that even with God, as I've already said, pronouncing all the blessings he pronounced over Jacob, and even after he changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means favored prince, Jacob could not accept the identity that God was speaking over his life because his thought life about his old identity and everything he had been through was so strong. Now, I want to help you understand why today you struggle to let go of one to embrace the other. And speaking about identity, I normally never tell jokes about presidents. Have you noticed that? I don't. Never tell. First of all, regardless of whether he's a Democrat or Republican, you have to go through some stuff to reach a, an office of that, that, that prestige. And I have regard for our president, again, regardless of whether he's Democrat or Republican. The office, in my estimation, commands respect. And um, so I don't, I very seldom do I agree with it, uh, all they do, and many times very little will I agree with that they do. But I've always, you've never noticed that, but I'll tell you a little, little fact. I usually never tell a joke about a president. Today, I'm going to break from that, and I'm going to tell a joke about a president. Einstein died and went to heaven out at the pearly gates. This is a joke, right? Joke. You got that right. Joke. This is not theologically correct. At the pearly gates, St. Peter tells him, you look like Einstein, but you have no idea the link some people will do, go to to sneak into heaven. Can you prove your Einstein? And Albert Einstein ponders for a few seconds and asks, can I have a, a, a chalkboard and some chalk? So St. Peter snaps his fingers and a, a chalkboard and a chalk appear instantly and Einstein proceeds to describe in arcane mathematics and, and symbols and, and so forth his theory of relativity. St. Peter is suitably impressed. You really are Albert Einstein. He said, welcome to heaven. And the next to arrive is Picasso. And once again, St. Peter asks for credentials. And Picasso says, why? And he says, again, you don't have any idea the link some people will go to to sneak into heaven. And so Picasso says, do you mind if I use that blackboard and chalk over there? And St. Peter says, go ahead. So Picasso erases Einstein's equation and sketches a truly stunning mural with just a few strokes of chalk. And St. Peter claps and says, you definitely are Picasso, the great artist, and you're exactly who you claim to be. Come on in. Welcome to heaven. Amen. And then St. Peter looks up and sees George W. Bush. And St. Peter scratches his head and said, Einstein and Picasso both managed to prove their identity. 
How can you prove yours, George? And George scratched his head and said, who are Einstein and Picasso? And St. Peter sighed and said, come on in, George. Come on. (laughs) Forgive me. Now, again, most people, just to put the record straight, don't realize that George W. Bush was a Yale graduate. Amen. Somebody said he was a C student. Let's see you make C's at Yale. Okay. And secondly, he was a fighter pilot. And that's not something you can do unless you're pretty good. His problem was he had really bad PR. And to be honest with you, he did have a, a disconnect between his brain and his mouth. And, and uh, so that's why I feel comfortable using him. So if I, I tell any jokes about presidents from now on, don't hold it against me. All I can say is when it comes to identity, God has an identity that he's spoken over every one of our lives. Most of us have gone through processes in life that have tried to rename us, that have given us a name other than the name that God spoke with us from before time began. I'm going to share something with you that you may not know. According to Jewish theology, the soul was not created when you were born. Your soul actually existed with God in eternity past. Stay with me now. If this is new to you, I'm not making this up. Jewish theologians teach your soul existed with God in eternity past. And when it came time for God to send someone into the world and give them an assignment in life, he looked around and who will go? And according to Jewish theologians, you volunteered. And to do that, God had to erase your memory of everything that existed in his presence before and start all over again in this life. According to Jewish theologians, you even chose your parents. Now, this is going to get crazy here. Because knowing the the horrible circumstances some children are conceived in, God, who knows before things happen what was going to happen, said, this is a bad one here. Does anybody volunteer? And you volunteered. Now, come on. I'm getting real with you right now. Now, these are the people that gave us the Old Testament. Okay? And gave us the books of the New Testament, in fact. This is what they have taught, rabbis have taught since time immemorial. And that you, to fulfill your mission, you agreed, you volunteered to be God's agent in the earth. Even under the dark circumstances that you knew you would be going through to be able to get here. Circumstances of conception, childhood, the whole thing. That you accepted it. What happens is, is that, again, they say that upon birth, you lose all conscious memory of your preexistence with God. And think about it. If a soul is eternal, that means it doesn't really have a beginning in the sense that we normally would think that things would have a beginning. Now, I, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not a Jewish theologian. All I know is for years I've studied that and marveled. But I got to thinking, if there's any truth to that, and I volunteered to come here, knowing what I was going to be going through, then why do I let what I'm going through rename me and keep me from going through to do the thing that I came here to do? I volunteered to be in this because I'm on a mission from God. Amen. I have an assignment in the earth, and I accepted my assignment. Why am I going to let what I knew was coming now rename me to keep me from the purpose that I agreed to go through all this for? 
Come on, somebody help me out now. Amen. Now, there are many different kinds of toxic thoughts, but all of them basically have the same effect. They will mess with your understanding of who you are. There are negative thoughts. I'll give you four basic kinds. They can be summarized into four basic categories. Negative thoughts. And as I present this, we can then ask this question, how distorted is it possible that our own thinking is? You can, you can form an identity around negative thoughts. You can think negative thoughts so much that you don't even realize you're thinking negative thoughts. And your identity can even be wrapped up in all of that. And this is what the enemy wants. For example, you can form an identity around a disease. Think about it. Did you ever hear somebody speak about my arthritis? Come on, help me out. My multiple sclerosis, my heart problem, my childhood. You know what we're doing? We're forming identities around the negatives in our lives. How about the problems and circumstances that are difficult? You know, well, before my divorce, my surgery, hello, my bankruptcy, circumstances that are negative are not meant to reshape your identity. Everybody goes through negative circumstances, but what happens is, if we're not careful, negative thinking will cause our identity to be tweaked and changed by these as a result of all of these negative thoughts that predominate in our mind because of the circumstances we're in. Now, do you ever make comments like this? Nothing ever goes right with me. Everything I touch fails. I always mess up. If you don't say it out loud, have you ever thought it in your mind? I don't ever get any good breaks. Why is it always somebody else? Amen. These are what I'm talking about by negative thoughts. Titus 1 and 15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. When once negativity begins to catch in your mind, everything you view then takes on negative connotations. And even if it's positive, you end up seeing the negative in it rather than the good in it. And if you're not careful, what you'll do is justify your negativity by saying, well, I just want to make sure everybody knows there's a problem. There, you know, we don't want to walk into this and not see the danger in it or the problem in it. I'm preaching a lot better than some of y'all responding right now. Amen. And people can become negative and not even realize they are. The second category of negative thoughts are fearful thoughts. And these have to do with irrational fears that we're going to, how about this, lose our health, our marriage, our job, our finances, or other things important to us. Tell somebody this is a fallen world. Would you do that? And the enemies come to steal. But I'm not going to lose one thing that I have in God. Amen. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm not going to lose one thing. I'm not going to lose one thing that God has given me. No, I'm not. Amen. I'm not going to. The enemy wants you to live in fear. Why? 1 John 4 and 8. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. God cannot bring perfection to our lives as long as we're living with fearful emotions. Fear torments us. How can we have perfected peace whenever we're living with fear? Hello, somebody? 
if you're living in terror. There are all kinds of fear. And most of us think, you know, catching another person in an unguarded moment when they're a little bit afraid is funny. I, I like to look at these funny videos on YouTube. And I was scrolling through some last night, and there's, there's this one guy, and I loved it. And he's in Dallas. He was uh, a news anchor. And he had, uh, they had some guy from the zoo come in with some reptiles and pets. And he's got a king snake, and he's got some big lizards and all of that. And so they're there, and they're handling the snake and all of that. And then all of a sudden, that lizard jumps up on the news anchor and catches his, his nails or his claws in the fabric of that guy's coat. That guy, oh, 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 oh. And he fell off on the side of the camera, literally passed out. Anyway, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd seen in a long, long time. And the reason I thought it was funny is because I've been in a few circumstances that were similar to that. Fortunately, there wasn't anybody there watching behind a TV camera to film my circumstance. But if you've ever had a few frightening experiences, you can relate to a few in somebody else's life. But it stops being funny when it's with you. Because I'm laughing at him, but I can promise you he's lying on the floor with a lizard on his chest, and he's not laughing at all. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? How many of y'all were raised in the country? Anybody? Okay, number. Do you ever go barefoot just as a little child? I stepped on a snake one time when I was barefoot. And you talk about, to this day, I can feel that thing wiggling under my foot. Amen. But you need to realize this, that fear doesn't, the, the only way fear hurts you is if it gives you a heart attack or something. Because <laughs> I didn't get bit by no snake. But to this day, I can still feel that, that wiggly, slimy thing underneath my foot. Fear can cause you a lifetime of distress without you ever being actually physically harmed by it. Who was it? Was it Alexander Carnegie that said, I've died a thousand deaths over tragedies that never happened? How many of us have lived in fear? And this is one of the forms of toxic thinking. We're afraid we'll lose our job, lose our marriage, lose our home, lose our companion, lose a child, lose this, lose our health. The third category is thoughts of discontentment. Thoughts like this, I don't like my job, I'm unhappy in my marriage, I hate my life, I'm unhappy about everything. This was certainly one of the problems that Jacob had. Amen. As I told you, when Jacob appeared before Pharaoh at the age of 130, in spite of, in my opinion, being the most blessed man in the Bible, possibly the single most blessed individual in Scripture, Pharaoh asked him how old you are, and he said, I'm 130 years old, but few and evil or few and difficult have been the days of my life. What? Jacob, what's the matter with you? How can you say that whenever God's blessed you and changed your name and you've had face-to-face -face encounters with God and visions and angels have shown up and, man, I mean, God's elevated you and blessed you and gave you 12 sons and made you wealthy. And one of those is second in command of all of the nation of, of Egypt, the mightiest empire of the ancient world. How can you say that you have not been blessed? But Jacob's problem was he focused on the negatives in his life instead of the good things. Another amazing example of this kind of discontentment, even after enjoying incredibly good fortune, is found when Haman in the book of Esther, 
King Ahasuerus' chief advisor. You know, he's invited to a private party. He's second in command in all of the mighty Babylonian empire, which was, again, one of the, the mightiest empires of the ancient world. And whenever you look at, at the wealth and the splendor that was his, and he's invited to a private party, he and the king are the only two invited to Esther's party. She's the queen. He goes home, calls all of his friends together, shows them the, the gold-plated invitation, and they're ooing and aahing, and he's bragging about what, what he's, he's going to experience and how no other man other than the king, her husband, has even been invited there. And that they're saying, man, this is fantastic. And look at what he says in Esther 5 and 13. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He didn't like Mordecai, Esther's uncle. And do you know with everything going on, second in command, and the, the empire that was in his day the, the greatest that was in existence, friend of the king, personal advisor, the only other male invited to this lavish party, that's how ritzy and exclusive it was, wealthy beyond imagination, he's saying, I can't even enjoy this because of that one guy sitting over there, that one guy. I know people that are like that. Some of you are still living 35 years ago when somebody did you wrong as a child. You can't enjoy the favor of God or a marriage that ended or a betrayal or a relationship or come on now. Amen. Thoughts about being discontented. Can you, can you imagine this? Now I want you to contrast this with what Paul described he went through in 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, the B clause in verse through through verses 28. Maybe it will make you feel a little better about what he said in Philippians 4 and 8. Where it could appear that he's being unsympathetic when he says only think on these good things and stop thinking on these bad ones. Listen to what he went through. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You know what that meant? They, they, could, they could give you 40 lashes, but they were forbidden by law to add the last one on. So they stopped at 39 because they said that would literally kill someone. So he received five times 39 lashes. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a, a night and a day in the open sea, sharks swimming around him. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You think he's been through a few things? Let me hear a little feedback. Anybody want to put your credentials up against his? Not me. Amen. And what was his attitude after all of this? Philippians 4 and 11. Three verses after he said, think on good things. This is what he said. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. You're not hearing what I'm saying. In the middle of an ocean clinging to a broken piece of wood 
with sharks swimming around me. I've learned to be content and give God praise. Lying there with my back bleeding and raw, stoned and left for dead, in perils and betrayed by my own countrymen, hated. I've learned to still live a life of contentment. And you know what this tells me? That contentment doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with what you do about your attitude when you're in the circumstances. In 1 Timothy 6 and 6, this is what he adds. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, but I, I went down, my ship sunk. Yeah, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying you're saved, aren't you? That's worth something, isn't it? Amen. If you have to hobble to heaven on one foot, at least it's heaven you're going to. That's worth something. No matter what you face in this life, hear me. This life is not all there is to life. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit here. The fourth category of toxic thinking is critical thoughts. You ever know anybody that's just ultra critical? Criticize anything and everything. Amen. Everything looks bad to them. No one can please them. When a person is critical, they become controlling. You know why a person is critical? Let me help you feel some sympathy for them because they're actually experiencing pain. A critical spirit is a cover-up for low self-esteem. Their self-esteem is so fragile and wounded that they cannot accept anybody finding fault with them because their self-esteem is already so low that they feel like they're then wide open and exposed when you discover anything wrong in their life. And so as a defense mechanism, they become critical. You know why they become critical? If I were doing it, I'd do it better than you're doing it. That's a dead giveaway for low self-esteem, amen. You don't know the pain somebody's walking through when they have a critical attitude. Oh, hear what I'm saying here today. And they get in trouble with God for that because if there's anything God can't stand, it's a critical spirit. Because you can even criticize God. I didn't say that, did I? Yeah, I did. You can even be critical with angel's food on the ground and a rock following you in the desert providing water for you. You can become critical with your shoes not wearing out and your clothes never getting old. You can get critical in the middle of a desert with a cloud over you that provides continuous air conditioning. You can get critical and you can get critical with God blessing you. And so the scripture tells us that God despises criticism concerning those I've just mentioned. Numbers 14, 29 through 30. This is what God said to those with a critical spirit. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. What happens to people with a critical spirit? They never enter into the fullness of God's promise for their lives. Hello, somebody. Amen. God, deliver us from a critical attitude. 
Well, I don't see why they do it this way, and I don't see why it has to be done there. And, and you can criticize everything. If I were doing it, I think this needs to be done. And, and what our church needs is this, and we don't need that. Oh, really? And when did you hear that from God? Well, that's just what I think. That's your problem, isn't it? Amen. Not thinking, but that you are elevating your attitude above the attitude of God. Oh, I'm preaching really well right now. 1 Corinthians 10 and 10, he says, Don't complain as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the, the destroyer. What happens when you complain? You open yourself up for, for attack of the enemy. Why does God dislike complaining? I will tell you why. It limits the potential of the one who complains. Now, I want to tell you this. If you've got haters, there will always be haters. Don't bother people hating on you. Oh, amen. You know what? You can let haters either ruin your day or you can let haters make you perfect what you're doing and end up living and, and producing a better product and life than you would otherwise. Amen. But you know who really is limited by criticism? The one who complains. Why? Because God looks at this and says, critical, I have to be careful how much authority and power I give you because if I give it to you, you'll use it incorrectly. And, and so you know what happens among people? When people hear someone who's complaining and criticizing, even if they don't realize that that's their attitude, how many of you enjoy being around complainers? I don't see a single hand raised in this building. They don't even realize how they cut themselves off from their ability to influence others for the kingdom of God. They limit their own authority and advancement. I like what Rumney said. He said, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, so I'm changing myself. Instead of trying to change everybody else, we need to change us. On the other hand, I want to say it again. Do not let criticism keep you from being who God meant for you to be. There will always be somebody in the crowd that won't like it, that will criticize somebody whose own spirit is wounded. Just look at your neighbor and say, not going to let anything hold me back. Would you do that? And I won't tell you, you have learned this about people, that no matter how good it is, someone will always complain. Amen. You heard about the pastor. Somebody's always complaining it was too hot in the auditorium. Somebody else, it was always too cold. So he had a dummy thermostat set up on the back wall that people did not know was fake. And he said, just go adjust it to suit yourself. And people get up, make it warmer, and someone else, and at the end of the service, everybody complimented him on how the temperature was perfect. It wasn't even wired up. Amen. I like what Henry Ford said about it. If I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said, faster horses. Think about it. Henry Ford said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. Instead, he gave us an automobile. Amen. How do you flush the junk and get rid of it for good? Step number one. First, understand that thoughts are real and have actual anatomy. Your thoughts actually produce a structure in your brain. I'm going to show you why it's difficult, as I said when I began, to break away from negative thinking or toxic thinking. thinking. Thoughts and memories look like trees and are, that are called neurons or neur nerve cells. Actually, when you begin to think thoughts, it lays down chemical pathways that create 
neurons and, and, and nerve uh, findings go out, as it were. Um, uh, the, these neurons are ner nerve cells. They, you lay that down. These memories are laid down in what are called these trees. That's what they resemble if you were to lay them out flat. As information comes in from your five senses, you process it in certain structures of your brain, and then you grow these trees of memory where you hold this, this information in long-term memory. This means that whatever you grow is part of you. Actual branches in your brain that create your attitude and influence your decisions. Why is it so important that I tell you this? It's because sometimes we struggle to break off the old way of thinking and we wonder why we can't and we give up the fight. Actually what's going on is you're dealing with recreating new memory trees or new structure in your mind and you're having to deal with all of this, 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 this that is already there. There's an actual anatomy to your thoughts. Amen. This means that whatever you grow is part of you. Actual branches in your brain that create your attitude, influence your decisions. And because your thoughts are creating a structure in your brain that your emotions react to like memories, this is why, listen to me, you should never be careless about letting thoughts just randomly go through your mind. Because you think them often enough, they're going to create structure. And once it creates structure, it's hard to break it then. It becomes a habit of thought. Step number two, after you understand that you're dealing with real anatomy, examine your toxic thoughts and ask yourself, are these good for me? Ask yourself, is fear good for you? Negativity, criticism, are all of these things any good for you? Let me just ask you, have they made your life any better? Amen. They fix anything for you yet? How's it working for you? Amen. Being critical, that, that, that fix anything yet? Make your marriage stronger? Make you better? In, no. Nothing... These, these toxic things produced in our life are beneficial to us. So you have to ask yourself, is this from God or is this from the devil? Or thirdly, is it even my own confused thinking? Because I tell you what the devil will do. We blame the devil sometimes for stuff that he didn't really do. It started in our own confusion and with mistakes we were making and he takes advantage of it. Come on, hello somebody. Amen. So... Step number two is literally you develop a conscious awareness of your thinking and you learn to filter your thoughts, which is what the Proverbs said earlier. It said guard, didn't it? This is what it said. It said guard your thinking, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. Amen. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, he said, the psalmist said, flows out of that. And so step number two, what you have to do is realize that I need to guard my, th my thinking processes and not allow these to go on. That is one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life is to stop toxic thinking. But it's important, and God wants you to be able to do that so you can come into fullness in your life. Amen. Research reveals that to be able to create these new trees, you're literally going to have to create a new habit of th thinking because that's what the old thought processes were. And so you've heard all kind of stuff. How long does it take to create a habit? Some have heard 21 days. Some have heard 28 days. Guess what? Do you know there's no real research to back up either one of those two figures? None. Do you know what research reveals? That some habits take longer than do others. You think about your own life. I found that to be my personal experience. The average length of time to develop a new habit is 66 days. 
that's the average length of time. And by making a habit change, that means you literally have to control your thoughts for, for 66 days. That's the average. You have to, when these negative thoughts come, think the exact opposite. Like when fear comes in, you have to think, you know, I abide in the shadow of the Lord. Amen. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. No weapon formed against you. You have to quote all of that. Every time a fearful thought comes into your mind, you have to replace it. You have to compel it to go away. You have to repulse it. Amen. My grandmother used to say it like this, and it was just an old country aphorism, but it was, there's a lot of truth in it. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can sure keep it from building a nest in your hair. Amen. And these thoughts just fly through your mind because you're human like everybody else, but you replace it. What about critical thoughts? When you look at this and you say, I, I don't like the way, if I did this, I'd schedule this a little, I'd handle, I'd, I'd do it, you know, whatever. And people do that in churches. There are church wars fought over people with critical spirits that don't even mean to be critical. Amen. But what you do is you just simply say, I probably don't know everything that's going on here, and I bless those that are doing it this way, talking about in your neighborhood. I don't know everything that's going on in the house next door. Maybe I wouldn't handle things like that, but instead of being critical, I'm going to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. On the job, I'm going to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You just learn to bless people and bless things rather than be critical. How do you replace a critical spirit? By walking in a spirit of blessing. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Today is the first day of the rest of your new life, thinking positive thoughts that are not toxic. So step number three is while step number two is developing a conscious awareness of what you're thinking about, step number three is doing something about the thought, which is literally what I said a while ago. It means making a conscious decision when you think these thoughts to say, uh-oh, there it is again. I reject that thought, now I'm going to think the exact opposite. Instead of fear that I'm going to lose my marriage, I say, thank you, Father, that I've got a blessed marriage and a blessed home. Instead of fear that I'm going to lose my finances, thank you, Lord, because you're my shepherd and I shall not want. You hear what I'm talking about? Instead of being consumed with fear, and all of us face negative diagnoses, and, and I know some here in our church have had some just recently and that are very dear to me, precious people, but what you do is say, it will not come nigh me, amen. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me, amen. You just walk in faith. Though I pass through the water, I'll not be overwhelmed. And through the fire, I'll not be consumed. That's what you say. You keep speaking words of faith and blessing in your life. And you know what you do? As you do that, step number four is you're actually growing new memory trees. You're actually building new memories over the old now. And then... Step number five is as you think these empowering thoughts and move beyond that, these trees get larger and stronger until one day you look back and the old toxic thinking patterns that you once employed are no longer even active in your life. And you know what? We want God to change our mind. We want to go down to the altar and have somebody lay hands on us and pray for us and in one moment have a miracle of reprogramming occur in our thinking. And I wish it was that easy. But it seldom will ever work that way, if ever, because God wants you to master your own direction in life. 
He doesn't want you to be at the, the mercy of the latest doctor's report or the latest economic threat. Amen. We went through some rough places here, and there's a lot of difficulty still ahead for our nation economically. All of us have reason, if we're looking at, for reasons, to be afraid. And this is where the real war comes in, and I'm closing. Because you can always justify toxic thinking. Come on, help me out. You can always find a reason to rationalize, but don't you see what's going on? Yeah, but don't you see the God that's holding this world in the palm of his hand? Amen. Yeah, but I just don't know. And these are the things that keep us from living fulfilled Christian lives. Toxic thinking. I'll tell you what else they do. They affect, they affect our relationship with God in ways that are incredible. I'm going to give you a prayer and I'm closing. But these, the way they affect our relationship with God is so profound. A person that has allowed themselves to be consumed with fear and negative thoughts, toxic thoughts about finances, for example, it's going to be hard for them to tithe. And if you don't tithe, you're not going to walk in favor. And you know what's going to happen? Your fear is going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you don't walk in favor and God's not blessing you, you're going to look and say, see, I knew. Boy, well, man, I, I was afraid that would happen. Yeah. Job said it like this. The thing that I feared has come upon me. Amen. I just knew. Uh, and yeah, uh -huh, you did. And you kept knowing it so much till negative faith was created. This is what you do. Get up in the morning. Stand with me right now. And I want you to come. This is a prayer to start the day. And I, I, when I finish this part of this series, not today, but I'll be sending this out. Where I'd, I'd love for you to pray this every morning when you get up. Just join me here at the altar. Our prayer counselors are coming. And we're done. What I'm teaching right now is deep and profound. And this is how you build a life that is blessed and happy. Amen. And when you come, come move toward the front, I want you to say these words with me because my time is gone. This is, think about starting your day like this. I gave you a part of this a couple of weeks ago, but shout this out loud. Lord, I praise you. I submit this day to you and receive your guidance. Cause me to be who you say that I am. I declare that I am an overcoming overcomer. As things come my way, I overcome them. Lord, give me the mind of Christ this day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Heavenly Father, cause me to walk in your ways and in your paths. That your will would be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I thank you for the faith that you have given me that overcomes the world, that will cause me to walk in victory. I set the course of my life today. Don't just repeat it. Say it and mean it today with my words. And I speak what you have spoken. I declare that I will not be defeated. I will not be discouraged, depressed, or disappointed at all. I will be filled with your unspeakable joy today. 
and your peace that passes all understanding. Your favor surrounds me. Today is a shield. According to Psalms 5 and 12, I expect that favor today, both from heaven and from the earth. Jesus had favor with God and man. According to Luke 2, 52. And as he is, so am I in this world. You have declared this in 1 John 4, 17. Therefore, I also have unparalleled favor both today with God and man. I expect and receive that unparalleled favor in my life, favor in my home, favor in my work, favor in my ministry, favor in my finances, and favor in all my dealings. I will not be worried today. I will walk in health today. I will not be sad today. I will not be depressed today. I will not be in lack today. I will not be confused today. I have health today. I have joy today. I have all the money and resources I need in the name of Jesus. God, where you guide me, you provide for me. Psalms 37 and 23 says, My steps are ordered by you, Lord. Give God some praise right now. Soul detox. Just do this. I believe in prophetic symbolism. Just do this like you're getting ready. We're going we're to detox now. All that fear, all that negativity, criticism, discontentment. Right now, let's just, let's just get rid of it. Come on, pull it out. Remove it in Jesus' name.